You are listening to the LTN Book Club, a bi-weekly read-along podcast positioned at the intersection of nerd and literary culture. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club. Welcome to the next episode of the LTN Book Club podcast. I am Madeline. I will let our other hosts introduce themselves. I'm Katie. I'm John. And I am Matt. Uh, Today we are talking about Shadow Shaper by Daniel Jose Older. Um, The book does contain uh, language, violence, and some spiritism, so content warning for that in the book. Um, Most of that we won't be discussing here in our episode. The back of the book summary here, or blurb, if you will, Sierra Santiago planned an easy summer of making art and hanging out with her friends, but then a corpse crashes the first party of the season. Her stroke-ridden grandfather starts apologizing over and over. And when the murals in her neighborhood begin to weep real tears, well, something more sinister than the usual Brooklyn ruckus is going on. With the help of a fellow artist named Robbie, Sierra discovers shadow shaping, a thrilling magic that infuses ancestral spirits into paintings, music, and stories. But someone is killing the shadow shapers one by one and the killer believes Sierra is hiding their greatest secret. Now, she must unravel her family's past, take down the killer in the present, and save the future of shadow shaping for generations to come. This was published by Scholastic's Arthur A. Levine Books in 2015. Uh, Shadow Shaper has been listed on recommended summer reading lists at the LA Times, the New York Post, Book Riot, BuzzFeed, and Bustle. Uh, For our mailbag for this month for this book, uh, Jennifer Webb on Facebook says she is going to be looking into this book. It sounds interesting. Thank you, Jennifer. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Erin Warmbier says she's halfway through and moderately intrigued, but still kind of waiting for it to pick up. Uh, Yeah, we'll talk about that (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) Um, Nerdy Duck over on the LTN Discord said they have never heard of the book but they heard of the author uh that daniel jose older uh, wrote one of their favorite star wars novels he has done one star wars novel is currently working on another um has done i think another star wars a short story so that's pretty cool so why should people read this book who would you recommend this book to YA that's it's uh like so young adults but like when i say young adults the older teenagers probably won't get as much out of it as like younger teenagers or preteens. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's really what the, like the audience age felt like for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Uh, young preteens, uh, younger teenagers, I think who like fantasy would probably get a good bit out of it. Yeah. This is definitely a junior high book. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe early high school, not so much like junior seniors going off to college, mm-hmm. young adults. No. Also, if you're a fan of soft magic systems, this book is for you. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the magic shadow shaping in this book isn't really fleshed out very much. Um, just kind of, well, it is a YA magic book. And so there's a lot of learning that goes along beside that, but, um, of the system. So there's probably, there could be more in the series. Uh, this is the first book in the series, but uh, it does have a very soft system. Um, what do you mean when you say a soft magic system, John? Okay. Yeah. That's a great question. Soft magic systems are magic systems kind of like, uh, Lord of the Rings or Narnia, uh, where they, all the rules of the magic aren't like hard and fast. They don't really explain how the magic works or what the magic does, like how that, like what the, like all of the nitty gritty bolts of how magic works. Whereas like something along more along the lines of, I don't know if Harry Potter would be considered a hard magic magic system, but it, it, it mm. the expanded universe of Harry Potter, when you get into the wand lore is definitely hard They get into the nitty gritty of like, this is how it works and this is what you do. And this is how this is going. Or um, some other bigger ones would be, um, um, well, I'm always going to default to the Brandon Sanderson books. He's the quintessential hard magic system. I was just waiting for it. <laughs> uh, so Brandon Sanderson is Brandon Sanderson and Robert Jordan are known for having hard magic systems. Um, those are the two main books that I have personally read. Um, they where they explain how the system works. They explain the source of the power. Uh, and, and they explain like the limitations and all of that and the effects on the user, I guess Aragon might be another scenario like that. Um, it's maybe more a medium system. Um, so that's the difference there is it's not super fleshed out. It's, Mm -hmm. there's a little bit, it, it leaves it a little bit up to the mystery of magic and it's magical. It's not so much science. Whereas if you read something like by Brandon Sanderson, the magic system always comes across like a scientific system because you have the hard limitations of what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. So mm-hmm. so another example of a hard one would actually be the broken earth yes. to a certain yeah. extent because she, d- she d- so. does explain in it, uh, the broken earth trilogy, uh, how the, uh, their po- the or- orangey, it's been a while since I said that. Orogeny? Yeah, Origin? that one. um works like what their limitations are how like the power system works what it affects different reactions between the earth and the crystals and um the people like all of that is explained so that would be another example of the hard hard magic system and if you want to find out more about the book listen to our first episode and second episode since we did it and read the book (laughs) Well, yeah, definitely read the book. <laughs> it's, it's worth your time for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, if you are like me, um, I'm a Latino. If you are Latinx and you live in the United States, um, this story will have some pieces, um, especially if you're second generation American like I am, or well, I'm technically first generation, but like you grew up in the States and your parents are not like are from an older generation within Lat- Latinx community. Um, there, it does play off of some of those tensions. It's set in Brooklyn, and so, and it has um, a very big body feel. So, uh, that whole dynamic is there. So, you might appreciate it. Um, I know I appreciated those aspects of it, and we'll talk more about that when we get to the spoilers. Though. Mm-hmm. Or if you're um, white bread like me, and you'd like to try and educate yourself um, about uh, what it's like to live there. Um, I think this could be part of your 
primer perhaps for that, but I would always um, talk to the people in your life that come from that type of background as well. So heading uh, into our discussion of the book, um, probably, uh, well, one of the biggest things that sticks out to me uh, in this book is uh, its its discussion of the, the Latinx community and kind of the different um, flavors, almost um, the different the different ways that that's embodied by all the different characters in the book. Yeah, um, this is something I kind of touched on in my latin nerd article in 2019 uh so i um wrote an article for a love thy nerd about how to be what it's like to be a latin nerd or latinx nerd um and one of the biggest takeaways i kind of came across as i was talking to my friends who are both latinx and nerds was that there is just a whole bunch of it's really hard to put the whole latinx community into one big like bubble or grouping because being Latinx means um, you could be descended from one of 40 different countries with their own cultures mm-hmm. and their own backgrounds and their own, um, whether that be, could be Caribbean or it could be South American. I, like I personally um, am of Ecuadorian descent, but my wife is Mexican of Mexican descent. And so even within that, that has cultural tensions, even though we're both Latinx um, because uh, Ecuador is much more patriarchal and and Mexico is much more patriarchal. And so there's like issues there and it creates all this tension. And so they bring that out in um, the book really well, because a lot of Sierra, the main character's friends all have different um, backgrounds. So they could be Puerto Rican or Puerto Rican or Dominican or Haitian. Um, and all of these countries are considered Latin countries because their colonizers spoke Latin based languages, but they're very different overall um and those are all caribbean so you get over to like the like the continent and it gets even more complicated so Mm -hmm. but um so and then within that you have like the differences between the latinx community and you also have the difference between the generations in the latinx community Mm -hmm. um so like i said i'm first generation american my, my dad is an immigrant. He immigrated here from Ecuador. Um, and then I have my daughter who I was raised in America. Um, and so the way that I raised my daughter is going to be a little bit different than how my dad raised me. And so as you go throughout the generations, um, the way Latinx flavor kind of hits, hits you and how what you're raised in is different. And so you kind of see that in how Sierra interacts with her mom and her mom interacts with her grandfather and that dynamic that they have going on there. Of course, her grandfather had a stroke, and so he's not quite um, lucid all the time, but it's just, or even within Sierra's interaction with her aunt. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you kind of get this idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, you get this difference between, you know, her mom is very much about fitting in, mm-hmm. and Sierra is very much about holding on to her heritage. Um, when she kind of discovers what it is, um, when she finds out that her family has magic, she wants to hold on to that. Whereas we find out about our mom, her mom was exposed to this as a child. She grew afraid of it, didn't want to have anything to do with it, and kind of reacted pendulum swing to the other direction where she wanted to dive deep into what it's like to be an American or, I don't know. She it, noped that, right out. 
yeah, she was like, no, I'm not going to be this. I'm not going to partake in the shadow shaper magic. I'm going to go be a good old, um, New Yorker. normal person. <laughs> yeah. And Sierra's like, no, I'm going to be me and, and my heritage. How dare you keep this from me? So, which is also very, um, I mean, teenager. It, yes, it's teenager, but it's also like, I have a lot of friends who are of Latinx descent, um, but don't know what that means for them. Like don't know how to interface with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest case of that is language, right? If you're Latinx, chances are your ancestors spoke a different language than English. Um, and so do you know that language? Uh, like I speak Spanish um, because my parents raised me to speak Spanish, but I have plenty of Hispanic or Latinx friends who don't. Um, and so that should Hispanic Latinx for me, the way that I use those terms, Hispanic is from a country that where Spanish was spoken. Latinx is Latin based languages. So that would include Brazil, Haiti, uh, French Guiana. I don't know. There's a bunch of other countries in the Caribbean that speak languages that are not, um, that are Latin based, but are not Spanish. Um, so that's the difference there. You can, depends on who you're talking to really, um, on that. But and I, I liked how they kind of included that with um, like Spanish phrases like inserted into the dialogue. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie, I had Google Translate open a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, oh, I can. Yeah. <laughs> I could see how that could be. I that didn't even like it didn't even hit me that that was in the text. If I'm being honest, like it was just, <laughs> I just kind of read on through. I was like, yeah, that's what that means. But I grew up on the border where Mex like where. Mexican Spanish and English have become so intertwined that I could be talking to someone and they can flip between the two languages and it's not unheard of for us to have a conversation like that. So Mm -hmm. it's very common here as well. Um, Being an hour from New York, it is having the, I guess, is Spanglish still an acceptable term? I think so. Okay. Um, You know, just jumping back and forth, it's extremely, extremely common. I am kind of surprised that there wasn't, especially because uh, Sierra is Puerto Rican, um, there wasn't a single WEPA uh, within the entire book. <laughs> I was shocked, um, especially because, you know, young, you know, there's plenty of instances where she's with her friends, they're partying, they're having fun. There wasn't a single one. I was like, wow, like if you're going for authentic, especially Boricua, like uh, that's a big, <laughs> that's, that's a big uh, stereotype. I was kind of surprised did not show up. Um, I actually don't know what that word means, uh, mm. which is just kind of adds back to the point of diversity with the Latinx community. Um, Borriquin, or the, I guess it's the Ricans of the barrio. Uh, yes. They are a very different culture than border Texas, Texan Mexican. Um, <laughs> so, and then on top of that, I was spent my summers in the Andes mountains. And so it's a very different, um, culture and it's a very different set of Spanish like the Spanish that I speak is very different than the Spanish other people speak in other parts of the world and so um, it's like speaking English here versus speaking English in the UK English. or in Australia um, or even different parts of the United States honestly um, <laughs> the, the colloquialisms are different and so Spanish is just the same way it's just and so I, I what was that word again sorry Wepa. Wepa. Yeah, it's 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 celebratory. Um, it's generally used when you know, you do something good, 
um, something, something great happens, you get a job, you, um, you're celebrating something as wepa. Oh, yes. Okay. In Sp- so in Mexico, that would be a grito and it would be more like a, ay, 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 like something like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Arriba. That kind of thing. So, um, anyway. And then one but, of the other things that pig, sorry. but to piggyback no it's okay but to piggyback yeah. on that they really um, Danielle I'm going to call him Danielle um, did a really good job as far as acknowledging those differences acknowledging mm-hmm. the fact that uh, Sierra is Boricua and you know uh, she's got uh, Dominican friends you know her brother's. Uh, uh, El Gordo, uh, Senor Gordo, the the music teacher, was Dominican. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that Robbie was Haitian, and even bringing up this, you know, the little uh, historical fact that Haitians have Taino native blood as well, mm-hmm. where that distinction is generally tied to uh, Puerto Ricans that the Tainos were on the island of Haiti and the Dominican Republic as well. So, like, they both came from a a common ancestral bond that most people would not assume that they had. Cause when you say Puerto Rican, you generally think of someone lighter skin and you think of Haitian and you think of someone who just came off the boat from Africa. Right. Um, mm. So that, that was really cool to, to have that and even have it be a, a scene where, you know, he is educating her uh, on that aspect because it's something that's really not talked about. Haitians are looked down upon as we, also see described in the book. Yes. So yeah. You know, this is something her acknowledging him. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say that's just something that's really big in the Latinx community as well. Uh, to be Afro Latino. Um so to be Latino or La- Afro Latinx. So Latinx with African um descendants as well um mm-hmm. puts you in a different place um within the Latinx community, let alone within the American community. Or the United States community. Um, I'm trying really hard not to say American because America is a continent, not a country. Um, <laughs> but that's besides the true. point. Um, so within the United, you know, within the United States community, um, the you know being black is we've talked about it in this podcast before is and being brown is difficult. But even within Latinx community, being of darker skin um, is harder. So. Uh, and you kind of get looked down upon. And so where my parent, my dad's from, um, blonde hair, blue eyed is still this considered the, the, the utmost of beauty, um, simply because of the Spanish influence. And so my sister and my, uh, niece who live down there are both light skinned, light haired, um, and they have lighter brown eyes. They're on the lighter end of brown. Um, and so they are considered more beautiful um then my cousins who live down there who look very native um dark long straight black hair dark skin dark eyes um and it's just that's because the lighter you are the better you look the better you're considered the more pretty you are um and so when sierra's aunt um makes the very racist comments she does towards robbie um it kind of highlights that colorism that's within the Latinx community. Um, and I mean, there are videos upon videos it's, now. Yeah. It's, it's very prevalent. You can, yeah. you of, can find of people. 
you can find many videos like John said about people talking about especially what it means to be Afro Latino. Mm-hmm. Um and absolutely in the in in the United States society as well as within the the native countries, mm-hmm. which often is worse if you when we were joking off air about telenovelas, but if you watch a telenovela, um oh, absolutely. all the all the beautiful people are those who um who could pretty much pass for white. Yeah. Where I mean all the bad guys, all the ones, no one that is good there if they're even on TV, they will be darker. Yeah. And have darker it, features. And you you can see that within um like Hollywood and the Latinx actors who transition out of predominantly uh, Latino markets into American markets. They're usually lighter skinned, um, lighter haired, or they dye their hair. Um, they look more European in general, just because that's, I mean, and that's, that's a reflection of the United States well, as much as it is, but that's what the, they're, they're always picked for the best roles. And so they have the better opportunities to hone their craft and to get more exposure. And so they're able to, to transition. Um, or they, yeah. Or, or they, or even, Go to uh, I go to the Estevez mm-hmm. family, you know, decided to change her name to to Sheen to to fit in, right. to not be looked upon as as Hispanic. Um, yeah. you know, Jessica Alba is another example, and then you have so many of the Afro Latinos who, and especially in the Hollywood example, who have thrived because they play black roles because that's what they look like. So people assume right uh, that they're that they're not even. Uh, Latino at all, like the or or any Latin or Latinx, any Latin based, like a uh, Giancarlo Esposito, um, Miguel Nunez, you know, who have made careers in in Black Hollywood <clears throat> while still embracing you know their Afro Latino culture, right? And it's it's something that I think I'm becoming more aware of um, as as society becomes more aware of our in, our inherent colorisms. Um, and racism just from being raised in a society that uh, has been shaped by um, white men for so long. Um, And so I, especially like, so I like, you know, me too, or which is a a group on Facebook uh, that puts out videos um, or Buzzfeed has a Latino section as well, or Latinx group of people that put out videos and just listening to people who are Dominican or, Puerto Rican talk about their experiences uh, being Afro-Latino and how their body, they shamed for their, their different, their body type and their hair and Mm -hmm. something that I don't have to deal with because I'm white passing. um, And I kind of can walk into Latinx uh, situations and be immediately accepted because I can speak the language and, or Hispanic situations, I can speak the language and I'm not too dark. You know, I don't look too bad um, and I can just kind of fit in, you know, sometimes it's, or I don't have my parents telling me that I need to not go out into the sun um, because I don't want to get too dark um, because I had friends growing up whose parents told them that. Um, or I remember I had a, a friend in high school who, uh, whose mom was Mexican and whose dad was white and she married another one of our friends with a Hispanic last name. And the mom made a comment on Facebook about how I worked so hard to give you an a, a English last name. And here you are marrying this guy oh, and changing gosh. your last name to something 
Latin. Um, and I mean, I think it was a joke, but at the same time, like that's not a joke because that's how people are. Um, mm-hmm. the, like, I mean, my wife made a comment when she married me because my last name is very, very Spanish. Um, and her maiden name is not. And so she's like, well, I'm actually married. I actually look like I'm Hispanic on paper now because my last name fits. Um, because that's, that's a, that's a thing. Um, and so it's just, it's, um, which was kind of the reversal of what you were talking about of celebrities who change their names so that they don't come across as Hispanic. Um, What's interesting is, uh, cause I have a Spanish last name. Um, cause I married into it, but, uh, like, so of course, um, like with, uh, junk mail and callers and stuff, like, I automatically know it's a spam caller if when I pick up the phone, they start speaking Spanish. I'm just like, nope, because I don't know Spanish. I grew up in Australia. Like, I feel like Americans get this slight advantage, at least with Spanish, just because they like it is part of the culture. A lot of it. So they at least pick up a smattering. Whereas that when I came to America, I was like, so I've worked I've worked with um one of my coworkers was Hispanic and he'd like throw in Spanish words, like common ones um, in, into his English as well. And I'd be like, what? And he's like, you don't know what that means. And I'm like, no, <laughs> Yeah, I, I did that. not have that exposure on, growing up. Katie but, missed well, out on the Sesame street Spanish. I did. did yes. I did indeed. Well, and or, it doesn't help that. Spanish you learned from Ricky Ricardo on uh, there you go. Lucy. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't. It doesn't help that you live in Texas either, because exactly. You know, so Texas now we used moved to be to, Mexico. So yeah, we we used we moved to Texas, and I have a Spanish last name, and nobody's gonna mistake me for Hispanic if they look at me because right. I am super white. Like it was kind yeah. of funny. You said parents like not wanting their uh, kids to go out in the sun because they turn too dark. My parents didn't want me to go out in the sun because if I spend like an hour outside, I look like a tomato and then my entire body starts peeling because I burnt so bad. Oof. Like that's, that's how white I am. <laughs> I am Irish. So it's just so funny. Just the assumptions when they can't see your face. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or just or going off the name. Or when they see your face. Or when they, exactly. I mean, being and then a, they get, and then they get really confused when they try when they look at my last name and they're like, "How do you pronounce this?" Right, because they, the, they get the so side, confused. On the flip side of you, my mom is Canadian. She's from Ontario, um, mm-hmm. but she grew as a missionary kid in Argentina for the majority of her formative years, and so she speaks Spanish better than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's blonde hair, blue eyed, like white bread, as Madeline said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that's, that's, uh, what, that's Toronto for you. Yeah. Yes. You know, that's, I mean, that's where she was born. Uh, my grandparents are from Canada. Like it's that whole side of the family, very white. Um, but they are on the outside, but they were mission. My grandparents were missionaries in Latin America for a very long time. And so they've adapted some of the culture. And so my mom is Argentine, like culturally, she is n- not white. Um, and because she grew up in Argentina. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at where we grew up, people would look at her and think, white lady. Mm-hmm. Talk about her in Spanish. And she'd be like, hey, I understand what you're saying. Let's <laughs> let's not do that, please. That's very rude. Because, um, you know, people, I mean, that's, that's the case. Is people are going to make assumptions about you, whether from whatever information they have about you. Oh, for um, sure. 
And you see that in the book, it happens from time to time, from time to time. It's pretty much the premise of the book, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just yeah. these basic assumptions that we have about the people around us based off of the limited information that we have. Um, and Probably our- the, the strongest ex- or example of that is when uh, Sierra goes with her uncle to Columbia University and he goes and sets down an empty briefcase on a picnic table and walks away. (laughs) And then like all of campus security swarms the, the, the place where the briefcase was. And the thing is he, he he used that assumption against Mm -hmm. them. Cause I mean, he was, he was using it as a, a distraction and he was doing it on purpose Right. But knowing that, like, they were going to assume that and just, like, jump on it. So it was, yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, just, I mean, it, like, just playing off of stereotypes and all of that. But, like, it really shows you. Because, I mean, if, like, a white guy had done that, nobody would have, they would have been like, dude, you you left your bag. What's up? Yep. Like, yeah. hello? Are you just oh, being forgetful? Be back. He must have gone. Exactly. He must have gone to get a, like a, a coffee. And he would be go back. get coffee. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, because you expect to see a, uh, you know, thirties or early forties white man on a college campus, especially because it was Columbia, right? Uh, mm-hmm. With a briefcase. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you see a, a black man with that, then well, he's not supposed to be there. Then why did he leave and then walk away? And yeah. it must be a bomb. Well, and even just yep. even just Sierra yep. trying to get into the library too. Right. Like, uh, you pretty much just think like just with her interaction with the guard. Like, if she had been white, or that he probably wouldn't have even batted an eye. Right, like, wouldn't have even thought to check for her student ID or anything. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a possibility. Yeah, and it happens within the like. And this kind of goes into the next point that we were going to talk about, but like the interaction between Dr. Wick and like her abuelo, um, mm-hmm. and like the shadow shaping community. And the, that's how that works out too. Like the way that they're interacting with one another, it, it is based off of the preassumptions that they have for one another. So like mm-hmm. Dr. Wick has this idea of shadow shaping um, as, as a power to obtain um, or a power to exploit. Um, whereas, you know, Sierra's community sees it as something that's part of who they are, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah, it's, like, it's more like integrating rather and like working together rather than um, lording over. Like right. it also, which also, I mean, that's how they use the shadow shaper magic. Like it, Sierra and Robbie both, they work together with the spirits and they channel the power rather than forcing the power whereas wick when you find find like he was such a small part of the book as far as like actually interactions <laughs> but uh like when you finally see him his he's forcing spirits into this like you like the description is all about the spirits being angry about being forced into these things right and upset because he's trapping them whereas sierra and robbie they both they both make a vessel that the spirits are happy to inhabit like they're they want to go in and they want to work with them so Mm -hmm. it's it's definitely that working together versus lording over and the two different aspects of that in the different like 
portrayed it with the different characters. Yeah. And I think my point, I like the going back just to tie a knot a ribbon over our commute, our conversation about presumption presumptions. Um, Dr. Wick is white. He comes from mm-hmm. the United States. Um, and he's a, he is an academic. Um, and if you haven't met very many academics, they can be very, um, individualistic because it's all about my research and what I want to get done in my life, uh, making a name for oneself. And so, um, and I say that as someone who has still wants to get into academia, but is on pause right now. Um, so I get it. Um, but there's like those who have been like completely submerged into academia. Oh, yeah. And then you can definitely tell the ones who have just been in academia and been completely uh, just yeah, again, submerged into it as opposed to those who have uh, gone into it and stepped away or gone into it later in life where they have experiences outside of academia. Right. Like they always, the people who have experiences outside of academia are always, it, at least in my experience, have always been more grounded. Like they're, oh, yeah. they have a better sense of the world. Whereas the academics, they kind like their ideas are sometimes good, but you're like, you don't know what reality is like, do right. you? <laughs> yeah. And so, um, like I have a theology degree. And so one of the things that we always would ask whenever we'd go to the theology uh, conventions would be like, we'd sit in a paper and we'd hear this person talk about, oh, this is how you would read this particular verb in this particular passage of the of Revelation. And then I'd be mm-hmm. like, so what's the point? Like, how is this going to impact, you know, my social, my small group? Right. Because like, they need to have some kind of practical application here. Why um, do so we have, care? <laughs> yeah. And so Dr. Wig is like, this is me. I want to know. I want to know. And I want to use the power to advance myself and be better. And it's so about me, 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 me. But the shadow shapers as a group are about protecting their community and building up one another and giving, uh, creating, but like Matt said, creating vessels for the people of the past to be made manifest around them. Um, and so, um, it's kind of like carrying on the legacy of the people who mm-hmm. have gone before them. Um, and it's so very community based as opposed to individualistic based individualistic. Um, and that is a, a big um, divide, I think within Latinx, the Latinx community, as we go from um, like assimilation versus heritage, because when you assimilate into the United States, um, you do take on a bunch of individualism. Um, mm-hmm. But Latinx community is very like communal just in general. Mm. I mean, it's the kind of people it's the, it's the culture that had generations of families living in the same house for a long time. Um, and so if you don't understand the dynamic that's happening there, you might miss it. You also kind of have this idea of like Dr. Wick, you know, he comes, he comes into the scenario with this preconceived notion of how's this going to benefit me? Um, and whereas like the abuela is just there, like wanting to share and bring into the community. Whereas the abuela is like, she sees the writing on the wall and she knows how things are because the abuela always sees the writings on the wall and sees how things are because that's just how abuela works. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, <laughs> well, and Wick even has like this, Oh, this is how we make it better. Like right. never mind hundreds of years of tradition and how the actual community uses it. Oh, we should do it this way because this is my idea and this will make it better. And I should be the one in charge. That's very much his attitude as opposed to, Oh, how can I learn? Right. 
Well, they made several indications to gentrification um, earlier in the book, and that's essentially what Wick was trying to do, is he was trying to to make it his own and to gentrify you know, hundreds of years of magic to, to his own purposes. And what I find interesting is like, just all, like going off a bit um, on this subject, just the interplay between those two cultures, but also like the overwhelming sense of sexism with the generational thing, mm-hmm. because again, they, they overlooked. So, I mean, they were trying to initiate, Sierra's mom, but at the same time, because Sierra's mom rejected, they didn't like her abuelo didn't want to induct Sierra. And right. so it's like, just because you had one bad experience, like how many other guys, you know, didn't want to do it. So you're willing to teach this outsider and initiate him into this big thing, but you won't even do it with your own granddaughter. Which is like a big contention for Sierra herself. Like, it's one of her main sticking points is just that anger of being having been left out just because she was a girl. I mean, it's and the then, big it's the big contention between Sierra's grandparents. Oh yeah, because, exactly, and that's what uh, breaks them. Right, because her grandmother does induct her, even though mm-hmm. her grandfather doesn't want her to, because her grandmother knows that the the main source of their power is going to be passed through the matriarchal line, right? Which Latinx communities, hello, you know, patriarchy is alive in the Latinx community, but on a practical level, a lot of them are very matriarchal because of machismoism, which is a whole nother thing mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. the men aren't good for anything in terms of stepping up to lead the family and mm-hmm. don't even get me started on all of the times my aunt and other women in my family have talked about this because it happens. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, women in Latinx communities have to stand up to lead the families because men tend not to do so um, for whatever reason. Um, and so she's passing on the power to Sierra and they tried to pass it on to Sierra's mom, but Sierra's mom didn't want the power. They didn't even try with the aunt though, because I mean, she was just, <laughs> the aunt was just like, yeah, <laughs> she's although, although it was nice to see that Sierra's mom had come around and becomes a sh- shadow shaper in the end. Yeah. Like, I, it's, it's pretty great cool. to see how Sierra kind of can speak into her mom's trauma once she understands it. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it, so one of the things I would like kind of thought with, cause like you said, um, there's a lot of Latinx communities that are very matriarchal, but the United States culture is very patriarchal. And so right. you kind of get this sense that Wick poisoned the water a little bit by stepping yeah. in, like to the point where, you know, it, uh, uh abuelo, her abuelo probably would have come around eventually, especially since um, Wick was there before the split. And I think it was really the interplay between initiating Wick and like kind of letting him all in on this and then refusing to do it for Sierra that really Mm -hmm. caused the split between her grandparents. And so it's almost kind of like that poisoning of culture to where it splits families yeah 
and you want it, I mean, and you see Wick wanting to take on the role of Lucetta, um, which I mean, basic, yeah. basic understanding of Spanish. If it ends in an A, chances are it's a feminine word. It's a right. word. <laughs> it's also that's not always the case, but if it's a name, it's even more so. And so, I mean, that's pretty much latin based languages are like yeah, that in general yeah, yeah and so he wants to take on this role but it's like this is a feminine role dude like <laughs> but he's like no 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 it'll be better if i take it no and not he, for you <laughs> not for you well and then also like it's so interesting because the other role the other power that wick has from the sorrows he got from from three female spirits right mm-hmm. the cesaro sisters and so he is taking on the powers that belong to women and making them his their his own and abusing Misuse, them. Yeah, yeah, misusing them. For sure, which is a whole other conversation about the gender politics in this book <laughs> that we didn't even think we were going to talk about, but here we are. Well, the, part of the problem is, like, it with all of this stuff, like, we're actually adding a lot more to the discussion than it, it is really explored in the book. Like, a lot mm-hmm. of these things we're picking out from very – like loose references or just like scenes or stuff like it. It's a YA novel, so it doesn't really deep dive like some of the other books we have. But, but it um, is set in a in a pseudo United States, pseudo Brooklyn exactly. setting. So we're and able so to pull those from the from the natural context of what it's around. Exactly, and, and that's it. and that's what's great about um, fiction in general is like you could as long as you know the setting and like what the book is built about, you can pull a lot more from it just, just by thinking about it. Like if you just, if you just read this book for on the surface, I mean, you'd get a good story and all of that, but you'd probably miss a lot. Yeah. But if you kind of deep dive into the setting, the different cultures, the, assumptions and all of that that is going on that's where you really get the meaning and the um yeah the the deep thinking and all of that which i mean like i'm not gonna lie it was harder for me to read this book just because like interest level based on not not the actual subject but the writing yeah, it, it was it was it was hard for I mean, me. I told, I told Matt it was a it was a hot mess. Like it's a, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I picked this book. It was such a hot mess. But like re- reflecting on it, like I'm actually very thankful for having read this. Oh yeah, um, for sure. And especially because like it does tackle I mean the whole book basically centers around gentrification of the body. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah. we, it opens up with the tower, which I would say is an architectural symbol of gentrification. Of course it um, is. And and then it's her painting on the tower. Um, you know, she's spray painting and graffiti, essentially graffitiing the tower. Um, and well, I mean, it, it was the, not so subtle about Wick being in the tower the whole time kind right. of thing. Like, yes, yes. Wick personifies gentrification. He lives in the tower. He's been there his, the entire time. And like, whereas the, the old gentlemen that hang out in the vacant lot next to the tower and play dominoes, um, which is the most stereotypical Hispanic thing you can do. This is r- <laughs> facts. Um, so they spit. They hawk. This is like, what does he say? Your paint is a nasty loogie hawked upon the stupidity that is the tower. And so right. there is that conflict there between gentrification and, and the barrio. 
Um, mm-hmm. And you kind of see that play out within the within Sierra and her friends too when they go out, um, like to the coffee shop. Right, some of her friends really want to go to this nice little coffee shop where coffee's really expensive and all the yuppies are there. Um, versus the I couldn't believe they said yuppies. Like I haven't heard yuppies since. <laughs> I know. Oh, no. I, I say that was the time. one part I was like, "Whoa, wait, did we just go back in time?" Because no, I say I say yuppie all yuppies. the time. I don't know. I, I do. What, what was it? Wasn't it like? Oh gosh, what was? Wasn't it? It was a hipster comment. I can't believe I didn't write it down. The difference it was between hilarious. yuppie and hipster. Yes, I was just like. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> Um, yeah. Honestly, it was probably one of the best lines in the book. Like, what is a macchiato? It's <laughs> just so good. Um, and in that scenario, like you, ha- oh my gosh. Okay, so I'm like, it's all coming back to me now. Flashbacks of like the, the repression that I've been having of reading this book. Because in that scene where they're in the coffee shop, they're loud and boisterous. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, la- and Latin being very loud and boisterous in latin yes and they get all and being very brooklyn at the same time right and (laughs) you know sierra notices people looking at them weird and all this stuff and then there's the scene where after the fight where she runs into the into the white neighborhood and they think Mm -hmm. that she's on drugs and i just is like oh my gosh like she was she ran from like a very latin club in like couple blocks and now she's in this white neighborhood outside of her area um and no one's there to help her and it's just this stark yeah like contrast between the community that she has not too far from there and the people who are invading her community and wanting to take it over and make it different um so and what was even more telling on that was previously when she was in the area and she was like looking around at all the white people were like, like, well, how dare you look at me like I don't belong here. Right. Um, and then she re- looks around more and realizes like like she is the odd man out yeah. right now. Where and that I mean and that's happening in Brooklyn right now. I mean, um, you know, twenty years ago, if uh someone said Brooklyn, you thought of, you know, thought of notorious big and you thought of you know the wu-tang clan you thought of a lot of very urban strong um you know black and hispanic themes now if you look at brooklyn um you've got a whole lot of hipsters walking around there and i have a very um, and they and there it's it's been it's been taken over and it's like It's like a, it's like a, it's like a couple of white girls went in there. I'm like, Brooklyn's mines now. We're going to do this here and this and here. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's like Al Woods moved to Brooklyn, and <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, wow, like I, this is Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, you can't even find a good basketball game anymore. Like, it, it's so it really speaks to me as far as what's going on right now. And obviously, this book is a few years old, right. but um, at that time, that's when a lot of that um, was in the height of it, of it happening, yeah. you know, where, you know, Bruce Willis's daughters are moving to Brooklyn because they want to revitalize Brooklyn. And, um, and you've got a whole lot of people were like, well, this is our neighborhood. We've been here mm-hmm. forever. We've, we've, we've built the barrio. We've built, you know, we've built up Spanish Harlem. We've built up these areas. And now you're just trying to come in who and make it better and form it in your own image. And, right. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is like, 
so much of what happens with with um what's urban development um stephanie it's it's urban development not gentrification if you're (laughs) you're trying to if you're trying to make it sound nice um is this idea of like because they want to take the the heart of the community but make it look like they want it to look like right mm-hmm. um and you see, I mean, you see that happening in dallas now too um the older parts of town that are, have been very um colored in sense of like people of color live there um are now being revi- quote unquote revitalized um and they want to take so like deep lm is a great example of this they want to take mm. the the heart of that community and the richness and the history and the art and all of that but they also want to make it hipster and you know have all these like really trendy food places and coffee places and like you know make it an experience and be white it whiteify it and it kind of loses some of its flavor um a whole lot you know and so it's just i mean and this is the story of latinx identity in america uh, mm-hmm. It was the story of Latinx identity in the United States during, in West Side Story. Uh, mm-hmm. It is the story of Latinx uh, identity um, throughout the eighties, um, the seventies, and the eighties, and the nineties. Um, you know, in the Heights by uh, Lin Manuel Miranda deals with this. Um, I mean. The one day at a time, both one day at a times kind of deal with this. Um, the old and the new, like it is assimilation, gentrification is the story of the Latinx identity in America, in the United States. Um, and you see it play out in these, in these pages in a very stark way. Um, that I didn't, I mean, I wouldn't like Katie said, I wouldn't have picked up on it as deep as it gets. I hadn't sat here and talked about it with everybody with y'all um so uh probably my favorite example of uh of this in the book is also in the coffee shop um one of Sierra's friends says I'm going to go to school and I'm going to study white people's culture um that was that was I was like like jumping up and down, like, because that's one of the other things in academia, particularly in anthropology is that we, we look, we being white people, uh, we look at cultures that aren't white and say, I'm going to study this because this is different and weird. And I hope you heard those capital letters. (laughs) Um, But we never, like we would never apply that same logic to anything that's white because that's normal, right? Right. Um, you never hear of an anthropologist going to Scotland and like I'm going to study these Scottish people. Although I'm sure it does happen, but well, if it is, then it's it's the dead Scottish people. It's it's never it's almost never going to study like. And you're not going to go live amongst okay. the people. They're going out to the mm-hmm. to go into the the ruined castles and. And look right, at right, old right. stuff. They're, it's more historical. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. historical. It's never. Let's go sit amongst these people and learn about. I'm going to move to their quirky and culture. I'm live there, and I'm just going to learn what it is to be Scottish. Or, <laughs> or even closer to home, I'm going to go to Wall Street and study how the people who, you know, are hedge fund managers, like what their culture is like, you know, at work and how how they posture and how they they uh, the division of power is between different people in their office, like. That's not something that's something to be super useful 
for (laughs) the general public to know, but that's not something that anthropologists are going to like, no one is going to write you a grant to go and do that. So people would be be super confused if someone suggested it, they'd be like, (laughs) what? You need to move to the Amazon rainforest (laughs) with the people who've never had contact. And, you know, because they're so, um, oh gosh, what's the word? Exotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With a yeah. Talking about that. <laughs> um, you have to be exotic, and so yeah. But we do yeah. we do have Nydia in the book. I think mm-hmm. she is a good um, foil to Wick because she is mm-hmm. she's um, I think she's Puerto Rican. Um, uh, no, she's Dominican. She's Dominican. Dominican, and Dominica. but she is also an academic, and she is studying the anthropologists. So she is studying Mm -hmm. the people who study other people and that's her research. Um, Uh And so it is, that's a very like cool character to bring into the story Mm -hmm. um, to kind of bring to fruition what um, Sierra's friend says in the coffee shop. Yep. Really. I liked her and it was, I wish she had been a little too obvious that she wasn't the 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 snitch that Sierra thought she was. Yeah, I wish that she had gotten more um, screen time, as Mm -hmm. it were. But I'm hoping that in future books that she's going to play a lot bigger. Yeah, because she becomes one of the one of the groups, right? she becomes one of the shadow shaper groups and group. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure she does play a bigger role in the future. One thing, like a big premise of the shadow shaping too, just one that I really appreciated as a creative is just the emphasis they put on the importance of art mm-hmm. and telling your story, not only your story, but like not only your story as in, the story that people want you to tell, but telling your story as you see it and telling your story as how you like your personality and your heritage and your culture and just embodying that and not really letting anybody change that, like just showing people who you are and the power of that. Cause I get a little frustrated when people are like, you know, the whole stereotypical starving artist thing, and people being like, oh, why don't you get a real job? And I'm like, I, I get really frustrated because I'm a writer. And it kind of is like, but you're consuming all this art. Like, not only all the in, time. All the time. And what would you do without it? And yeah. so, like, it was really refreshing just to kind of see. I mean, it plays a little bit of a different role just as like a resistance kind of thing in the book, but just the positive power of Mm. creativity and art and story and owning it, owning your creations. So I like, I definitely like that theme in the book. And I appreciated how they kind of highlighted different art forms like mm-hmm. it wasn't all visual art um Lasado, uh sierra's granddad is a storyteller and was able yeah. to shadow shape with his words um mm-hmm. which is apparently like the highest form of shadow shaping which um, i thought was really cool <laughs> as a writer like <laughs> yes i was like yeah <laughs> um, and we don't really 
hear too much of the way that different the previous shadow shaping group could like Lazaro's uh, guys could, all of their different powers like not all of them were visual artists right we we mm-hmm. know that um the the priest was right Acevedo I think that's what his name was. Um, Mauricio Acevedo yeah yeah uh um, he's the one who taught Robbie right but the other ones we don't really hear too much about. And then you think of the new, the new cl- group that are is around Sierra and not very many of them are artistic, um, but Benny is a wizard with computers. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see uh-huh. how that talent manifests Translates. itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Into shadow yeah. shaping. I'm really hoping Juan and his band. Yeah. yeah. With, Cause yeah. like, first of all, they're describing this salsa metal and I'm like, I'm just trying to like I conceptualize this in, this in my head. And I'm like, I need to try to hear what this, you know, unholy fusion would actually sound like. <laughs> and then, wonderful. <laughs> but then I was like, okay, well, because Juan is, he's probably would be someone too, because he's using words. And if he's combining that with music and to give the shadow shapers a different form to, to manifest, that would be really cool. Um, mm-hmm. And um, darn it, so I was going to go somewhere else. But um, but Juan was the one that really jumped out to me because of of, of the music aspect yes. to adding a different wrinkle. And I think words would are going to be more probably more prevalent because it's more flexible and it seems to be the stronger of the power base. So um, than than the actual you know artistic form. Um, but you also and you also mentioned um, the different art styles. Like Robbie had the graffiti style uh, in a lot of his of his stuff, but also um, the tattoos and, and the human mm-hmm. art style. I mean, that scene where he's using his tattoos to choke out like four of the corpuscles was like that was super dope. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like that that that's fire right there, um, <clears throat> and even um, the fact that he decided to tell his ancestral story um, with visual art on his body. Mm. And Mm -hmm. uh, Danielle did a fantastic job in the conversations, which these are conversations that they had that I've heard. Like I've been um, in in black homes, in Afro-Latino homes. You hear these conversations often amongst friends. Like, like, do you know where you, do you know where your people are from? Yeah. Do you know, um, and the fact that half her friends were like, yeah, I don't know. And then her other friends were like, yeah, I'm, I got people from here, 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 here. And cause, and it's important. And then some people were like, oh, you know, and then what's Jerome mentioning, Hey, well, you're just, you're Spanish. Right. And they're like, what do you mean? She's Spanish. She ain't, you know, the, the girl from Martinique, which Martinique like doesn't get mentioned ever. So <laughs> for that <laughs> Island to get like, I bet you, you know, Young adults were like, Martinique, is that even a real place? Like, no, it's a real place. It's a real island. Um, like, for for them to, to mention that, and then Jerome's like, well, you're Spanish, right? And she's like, well, I don't think that her Taino and African roots felt like, you know, it. it's just nothing. Like, <clears throat> some people, I, and, I, and I relate to that personally because I take great pride in my heritage where I know a lot of black folk who they'll claim that they've got some Cherokee blood because every other black person does. Um, but they have no idea and really have no interest in knowing um, or embracing 
mm-hmm. uh, that part uh, of their ancestry. Mm-hmm. And you see that really often in the Afro-Latino community where um, they'll know to the T mm-hmm. um, who's Taino on this side and who's African on this side and who's Moreno on this side. And then there'll be other people that are like, hey, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I could give you my whole Latin side, what that looks like in terms of the different tribes that my family comes from. And the fact that I might be Jewish, considering that my last name is a very, um, it's a Spanish translation of an English name. So it's very much like something that the name was changed into and how that works with the Spanish Inquisition and how people change their names (laughs) all throughout the 20th century in order to hide the fact that they were not true Spaniard descent. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that, I mean, you talk about and it's, I remember being in a small group once and being like, yeah, this is my last name. This is where it comes from. This is what it means, blah, blah, blah. And be like, I think one of the, one of the white people in my small group was like, that is so cool that you know where you're from and all this stuff. I was like, yeah, well, I mean, I kind of have to, um, cause it's kind of a big part of my identity. part of the culture <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, about who I am. Um, and it's not something that I think a lot of United States folk, um, really, uh, think about like being German American or Swiss American or, uh, well, I feel like, well, the, I feel like the boomer, the white boomers that I know really care about that a lot more than, than millennials. That's so true. I I got it drilled into me Irish American, and that's because my dad grew up in New England when the Irish were being treated horrible, like Irish Catholics were being treated horribly. Right. So that like Irish pride was was really drilled into him, and so he kind of drilled it into me too. Just that you're Irish, like this is who you are, like this is your heritage, this is where you came from, kind of thing. Mm. Um. So, it it was actually kind of interest interesting because like when I lived in Australia, I'd act when my uh, accent was kind of transitioning. I I had a lot of people ask if I was from Ireland, and I was like, "How do I answer that question?" Technically, <laughs> technically no, but. Ancestrally, Astri- yes. yeah, exactly. Because so, it was like I don't want to say I know what they're asking, but at the same time, it's like I mean, <laughs> my grandparents, my or great grandparents migrated over, so sort of, <laughs> like yeah, maybe kind of <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> um, but like it, it's just that kind of funny. But it's 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 different in that. The majority of the school system will talk about the plight of the Irish. They'll talk about Germans. Yeah. They'll talk about yeah. the Anglo-Saxons. They'll talk about all that. Where if you are Afro-Latino or you are you are Latinx, you are African origins, you're not going to hear about that. So if mm-hmm. you don't focus on it, if you don't embrace you it, don't as a really part of your identity, it. yeah, you're you're not. It's not going to be reinforced. Yeah, um, and then. So you don't. So a lot, especially for the you know the millennial and younger age groups, it was so. You know the older ones you mentioned, like the, you know the boomer age range. Mm-hmm. It wasn't part of curriculum really back then because Irish, uh, in particular, in this example, you know, were not looked upon you know very favorably. So they had to fight for their identity. They don't have to do mm-hmm. so anymore. 
So it's no longer stressed. Uh, they feel adequately represented. So there's, there's a big difference in, in that. And the variation uh, that we've talked about within the Latinx community um, is, is so wide. There is truly no other group that has such a massive variation um, that you have to consider that their histories are so, are so different. Um, and yep. to, to, encom- to encompass that within, oh, um, I mean, you, it, it's, even though the, the cultures are different when we're talking about, let's say the United Kingdom cultures, there's a lot of similarities between the Scottish and the Irish so much that people often get them confused. There's differences, but there are so many similarities. You can't adequately compare Ecuadorian society to, um, Colombian or to, um, well, especially even, the even within Ecuador, right? Ecuador has three main regions. One is coastal, one is like the mountains, and one is the rainforest. Um, and before the advent of modern travel, they didn't really mix very much. And so no. like the coastal region of Ecuador, there was a slave ship that revolted, got cut co- like a, that the slaves revolted, got captured, like got control of the ship, sailed around the, the Cape of South America and crashed in Ecuador. Um, and so there's a lot of Afro influence. You move into the mountains, none, none, none. And everyone's short <laughs> and everyone is very like Andean, think Peru, Colombia, but then you go into the rainforest and it's the Amazon. And so that's very different too. <laughs> um, and the people that live in the rainforest, they are probably have more and similar with the the end like the mountainous range but at the same time like rainforest life is very different and like i've been so i went to um brazil the rainforest in brazil um and it's a whole nother culture it's a whole nother yeah. way of life it's just so different um shoot i was in the rainforest in peru and if you don't know anything about ecuadorian and peruvian politics they were once the same country and yeah. they do like to bicker the the land that i was on used to be part of ecuador and then peru invaded it in the 90s and took it away so like i remember that conflict um so i was in this contested area um and the people there like were very much familiar to me but they weren't because they weren't no longer they were peruvian they were not ecuadorian but like they still had pieces of themselves that were still part of like the ecuadorian culture that they'd taken over and so i'd be like oh why do you say that they're like well we've always said that i'm like did you know that word comes from my people and they're like your people and i was like yes i'm from the mountains of ecuador have you not had this conversation already like like, that's a quichua word do you know what they like and they're like oh yeah the quichua is like they live in the mountains and i'm like yeah that's where my people are from the quechua the quichuas and the canyari and the people that descended from the Incas or who were here before the Incas were here, like that were conquered by the Incas and the Incas died out because of the conquistadors. And now they're still there living on the same land they've lived on for millennia. But it's, you know, I, I, I've I noticed mean, that, that yeah. and that's, that's a great point. I noticed that um, with my, uh, with my Indian and Pakistani friends, um, because, you know, not too long ago, they were, they were one country. Right. Um, and just on how those Little things between in the in the similarities, and then but they want to act like they're completely different and completely apart. Yeah, and I mean, jungle life is very different than mountain life, but just in general. But yeah, it's just so interesting because, like, 
you know, I remember the one unit that we have about Latin South America in world history growing up focused on the Incas and focused on the fact that they had roads. <laughs> and then we moved on. And oh, I was like, yes. Yeah. yeah. The Incas had roads all over the Andes mountains. They did. They also had indoor plumbing, they had advanced <laughs> astrophysics, you know, they had a lot of really interesting things. And I know that because I spent summers in Ecuador and we went and toured all the, all of the historical places and we, learned that because my parents very very much like this is what these are your people you must know these things but what's Uh, interesting is they make it sound so out of the ordinary where it's like yeah but the romans had it out too like this was about like this was at the same time yeah exactly civilization they always highlight the romans and they oh yeah over here these incan people they had some roads too well they they, I mean, they, they almost teach it like it's so like with Rome, they teach it like it was advancement of civilization. Whereas with the Incas, they're like, oh, and here's this anomaly over here. Right. Yeah. Right. And well, you're just like, they couldn't what? possibly have done that. Exactly. You have to teach it that way when the entirety of your civilization is built on the idea that people came from one country and conquered these people over here and yeah even though they were probably more technologically advanced than their conquerors um in some areas because uh they have to diminish that because they need to seem like savages so that we weren't bad people for killing most of them oh yeah i saw i saw a meme um that suggested that anything that was built by uh people that weren't white in ancient times um we always assume that all oh, that not assume, but like that's that's when people start suggesting aliens is when it wasn't white people that <laughs> that built the thing. Right. So. Like oh, the pyramids. Yeah, 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 the pyramids. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah aliens must have like, built the pyramids. If you're not Eurocentric, how how do you know? How do you geometry <laughs> <laughs> technology? Oh my god! You couldn't possibly have, have algebra. Yeah. Never mind the fact that the concept of zero is yes. not Eurocentric. It's fine. It's fine. Where is the whole so other country? Like the <laughs> book that we're talking about tonight. We got so off track. <laughs> but in this, but in a way, so like this is the thing about this book, though, is that it it does it makes you have those conversations. It makes you yes. focus with that because it is it's mm-hmm. it's. And it's doing. It's bringing up this kind of conversation in a way um, that's going to resonate with YA Latinx readers, mm-hmm. um, and creates a way because like it doesn't slap you in the face with it, right? Um, it's a lot more subtle, um, but it also it, there are moments where it does slap you in the face with it because you do need that in a YA book. Um, but the subtlety is recognizable, and that's yeah. why I think it's good because, like I said, I, I've seen these conversations happen. Like I, absolutely, I've been a part of them. So uh, when when people are talking about Dominicans and talking about Haitians and talking about Puerto Rico, there are so many people who do not realize that Haiti and Dominica Republic are the same island. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Like they, they don't realize that. And Dominicans, often, they do not act like they're a part of the same island. They act like they are an ocean apart and, and so much better than than their Haitian brethren who share the same piece of land. Uh, yeah, and and that's a lot of where that attitude that Tia Rosa was so edical, uh, excellently written to to portray that negative part of. That's exactly how they're they're viewed upon, unfortunately, and 
you often will get that uh, argument, especially with the younger people who are being educated more on the fact of where they actually come from. And they also can look in the mirror and say, uh, we are, hello, we are the Morenos. Have you seen our skin? Have you seen our hair? Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, yep. you know, this, this self-hate is not helping anybody. Right. Mm. Yeah. Or the, the reclamation of mestizaje, which is a big concept in Mexican American studies. Uh, mm. Mestizos are the, a mix between Spanish blood and Native American blood um, that happened during uh, the Spanish occupation of like Mexico, Central America, and South America. Um, and they were second class citizens in colonial times. And so um, a reclaiming of that heritage is a big part of what's happening in Mexican American culture um, because you do come across looking darker when you have Native blood. Um, so, yeah, it's good. So to sum up, the book itself may not seem at first like it has a lot to it. But when you actually start, like, having conversations about it and stuff, mm-hmm. it really there's really a lot to it. It's so, like an ogre. <laughs> it has layers. It has layers, like an onion. Or a parfait. Um, or a parfait. Or cake. Or, or cake. <laughs> um. But so yeah, it's it's definitely like it will be a little harder for older readers to kind of latch onto and kind of get into just because of the the CWness. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. That's why you need though. one tree hill you, all up on here. That's, that's where you need a book club with which yes. to discuss it. Exactly. I'm not going to lie. If it wasn't for the fact that I knew I was going to talk to the three of you and discuss it, I probably wouldn't have finished it. Oh, same. Uh, yeah. Which, <laughs> honestly, I think that's a, like, this seems to be the theme of a lot of the books we've been talking about <laughs> yeah. for, oh for different, for different reasons. So like, uh, safely in chapter, whatever it was. Oh my <laughs> 17. <laughs> it was 17. <laughs> yeah, chapter 17. <laughs> or, or just the opening of, of, uh, the fifth season. Right. <laughs> it's like, Oh, Pat, Wait, like, what? <laughs> what? Father kills his son, bare hands. Huh? What are we doing? I'm so confused. So, um, so we recommend you find three or four awesome people to talk to about any book you read so you make sure or you finish it. Add us on Twitter. We go. will talk with you about yes. it via <laughs> socials or in Discord. If you join the LTN Discord, we will have, we can hop in, I will hop into a voice chat with you and sit here and talk to you about it because I do think that this book is a good springboard for having the conversations that we need to have in the United States today because Agreed. it definitely allows you to have the conversations of what it means to have a different perspective and a different background than you might have that you personally might have experienced um mm-hmm. and what that looks like and the struggles that, that you might have from those different backgrounds um which is a theme that we're in a lot of the books that we're reading um yeah. but and it's honestly one of the reasons why we started the book club to kind of talk about mm-hmm. how the fiction and fantasy and all of this really informs conversations and can jumpstart just learning experiences and conversations mm. in the world because they reflect a lot of reality while at the same time being fantastical. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, like for sure, as far as like, if you're reading these books along with us and stuff, like it's great to like listen to us, but at, at the same time, we would love for just to engage as well. Like 
this mm-hmm. we, we we honestly talk a lot more outside of the podcast as well as on the podcast about these books and so we are happy to talk about mm-hmm. even even books we don't do like there's yeah, like, a let me good let me give chance. a shout out sorry let me give a shout out to our host who's an awesome person yeah. um i i share a friend of mine is writing a book and i'm kind of helping him curate his ideas and thoughts and i shared it because i value the opinion of the three of you and madeline was so kind to not only read it but to share her feedback on it uh, which was extremely helpful and my friend uh, was extremely delighted to to see and read her view on on the start of you know it's essentially the first couple of chapters of what in my opinion could be a fantastic fantasy world so i think so too yeah absolutely uh, just just a shout out to our, our fearless leader on that <laughs> thank you i appreciate that and with, um, I was going to say, Rhythm of War is coming out at me on Twitter. <laughs> if you know what that is, I want to talk to you about it. If you don't know what that is, read and find but out. But honestly, there will be murders if there are any spoilers in the LTN book thing on those. Like, oh, 100%. not even joking. There are multiple people who will yes, I be will, on the warpath if there you are and spoilers. Your firstborn children. So we might actually have to maybe maybe we should start like a spoiler. I don't know. Spoiler, spoiler chat. chat. A separate spoiler chat. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I don't think we're big enough for a separate spoiler chat. Uh, the Mandalorian is kind of. I mean, there is a spoiler section well, on the yeah. LTN Discord, so maybe we can maybe we can bug Bubba enough to make a spoiler <laughs> <Yeah>. section. <laughs> well, but yeah, totally join the LTN Discord and or like love thy nerd. Add us at Twitter slash Discord. Um, yep, it's and we have our own little section. It says books. Yes. And, and if you just like tag us, we'll be like, hi. Or we, ch- I we have, check it regularly. I have notifications set for the books channel in the LTN Discord. So yeah. anything that's in there automatically buzzes me. So. Once in a once a week, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Super, it's I know. not super active, but it we oh, want we to make it more. That. So you come yeah. join us and we will have mm-hmm. conversations. And if you can't tell by listening to our episodes, once the four of us get started, we don't shut up. If you engage with we us, were, we were, we're going to engage. I think we were, me and John, um, every every time he's streaming or I'm streaming or whatever, we end up talking about some book that we happen to be reading. Um, it's going to happen. So engage yeah. with us if you actually... I said before we recorded this that we were probably not going to have a very a whole lot to talk about, and here we are. So (laughs) here we are. (laughs) Well, and and there's been a few poor saps who have asked Madeline for uh, recommendations, and then on top of giving her recommendations, she tags me, and so then I give my whole (laughs) list of recommendations, and it's like, man, this is like twenty books that they have to choose from. Yeah. They haven't asked for recommendations again, so either they're reading through those or they learn their lesson. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, it, all those books that we recommended were excellent, so. I, I think so, too. Speaking yeah. of recommendations, if you liked Shadow Shaper, uh, we have a few other suggestions on what you should read. Um other books by uh, Daniel Jose Older. Um, there are three other books in the Shadow Shaper series. Um, he's written uh, a book called Dactyl Hill Squad, which is a middle grade about um, children from the Colored Orphan Asylum in Brooklyn uh, that learn to ride uh, pterodactyls and aid the uh, Union forces in the Civil War 
not kidding. Um, <laughs> yes, it is set in 1863. Yep. Um, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he also wrote uh, The Book of Lost Saints um, about a Cubano family. Mm. Um, and I can't tell if this is okay. It's set in modern day New Jersey. Um, so if you like uh, his storytelling, and we mentioned earlier, he also has written some some stuff in the Star Wars universe. Um, there, I looked, so the rest of these are, well, most of the rest of these for me are from um, the Goodreads recommendations. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, there's one I'm familiar with, though, called Muse Squad, uh, the Cassandra Curse. And this one, if I scroll up fast enough. There we go. Um, so this one is about a, a Cuban-American girl who discovers she's one of the nine muses of Greek mythology. This one is also um, middle grade. Uh, there is one called A Song Below Water, which is about um, a siren who is black, who lives in Portland. Um, she keeps her siren identity a secret. Um, and then more and more sirens start to go public, as it were. Um, and then Labyrinth Lost by Zoreda Cordova. This one is about a uh, bruja in, I'm saying that wrong, John. I'm really sorry. Please no, pronounce it for no, me. Okay. A bruja. Yeah, it's, it's I can't roll right. the R's. Okay. No. A bruja in Brooklyn, um, in modern day Brooklyn. So they're all different kinds of stories about um, uh, people who aren't white um, sharing then, their magic with us. <laughs> I, I added um, Sabriel, which is a Garth mm -hmm. Nix book. Um, it's more on the YA side, um, but it does deal with themes of heritage, themes of magic and, and familiar role within uh, it's a much more like removed uh, setting. It's not like, modern it's not like a pseudo Brooklyn. it's like a pseudo england but not really um mm. it's much more the world building's bigger but that's a really good book it does if you're looking for ya books for like i'm a i'm a girl dad she's eight months old but i'm a girl dad and i'm so i'm always <laughs> looking for um good strong female protagonists that have really good life lessons i like sabriel um, and it does, it, this book reminds me of that. Although I think Sabriel does some stuff that I think I wish shadow shaper had done. So, um, and then of course you can always, if you're looking for more Latinx writers, uh, Isabella Allende is a good, uh, person to look up or, oh gosh, was, I had another word that I was another person that I was thinking of, but I can't remember. Um, Isabella Allende is really like the starting point for most people when it comes to Latinx writing and magical realism. Um, so go look her up. Um, and then you can kind of springboard in Goodreads from her. Um, she's not very much of a YA writer, but she does is going to be um, a very accessible, prolific Lat Latina writer who um, deals with play these um uh, like conversations of Latinx heritage. Uh, Sanders Cisneros is another one um, that I'm thinking of off the top of my head. Um, and there are many more that you could pull from as well. Um, so. Thank you very much. Uh, so what, in closing, what can we learn from this book that helps us love people more? 
Um, I was going to say like, and I think, I think our conversation actually, um, added to this. So I wrote this before, but, uh, everyone has a story and a reason, a reason for why they, how are, why they are, how they are. Uh, so we can see that in the tension between Sierra and her mom, um, especially when it comes to shadow shaping, because we, like we talked about Sierra's grandparents tried to introduce their, their mom, her mom to shadow shaping at when she was 14 and she got scared. Um, and so you, there's this big confrontation between Sierra and her mom about how she's scared of her own power. Um, and so, um, but that allows her to actually kind of see what her mom has gone through and see where her mom is. And it also lets the mom to see into um, where Sierra is. And there's this ability to kind of cross over into each other's stories for a moment. And then that builds a, tight, a tighter connection. Um, mm-hmm. And so we've been talking about that a lot to, in this particular podcast, the power of story and allowing us to develop empathy. Um, I like to say that uh, narratives are exercise for our empathy muscles. Because mm-hmm. it allows us to step into uh, another person's life, whether it be a fictional character or a bio- or um, a pseudo fictional character, someone who's a, like a historical figure but is uh, novelized, um, and we can kind of experience the world from their point of view and allow us to step outside ourselves and see the world through someone else's um, eye holes, walk a walk a mile in their shoes if we want to throw a cliche at it, um, and and then in that way we can be a little bit more gracious towards people. Um, in hard situations because we can kind of see the world from their perspective um, because we've experienced the world through a similar perspective um, in a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go um, next if you don't mind, just because I always go last and I'm trying <laughs> to break out of my uh, habits. I'm going to say that this book can actually help you love people, but it's going to be a bit of a different angle. So we, we talked about the gentrification uh, theme, However, and but wanting to be a part of something that you're not born into uh, is not a bad thing. You just have to make sure that you're going about it in a loving and respectful way. So mm-hmm. you've got mm. Wick who wanted to take over shadow shaping, and you had Robbie who wanted to embrace it and and, and make it a part of who he was. So um, th- you can really learn a lot from Robbie's character as far as being introduced, being welcomed into a culture, a heritage, a group, an area, um, and embracing that those people, um, making it part of who you are, um, and making yourself a part of that community, um, and, and showing how much you love and respect them. And, and as you can see in the book, the, the respect and love was returned in kind. Hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I guess for me, uh, I mean, obviously not going to cover what John and Matt just covered, but I I think a lot of, like, it also helps um, show just how much art, like, in all its different forms, uh, visual, uh, storytelling, all of that, like, how it brings people together and can speak to people in different ways and I think just the importance of being willing to embrace art for what it is and not just like being wholly concerned on monetizing it like I think Mm -hmm. I think that's a big thing that our that a culture needs to learn or relearn because 
it's not all about the it's not about the money a lot of the time for the creators and so people who take it in shouldn't be like oh you're just doing that for the money or you're just you know, like it, it it's so much more than that and you need to look past that to kind of really get the message and really get the most out of art music like it's it's very meaningful and you can learn a lot by just paying more attention to the various creative outlets and see and kind of paying attention to see what people are saying through those creations because sometimes they're not being very obvious with it but if you're paying attention you can really start to understand people based on what they create mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for me um it's really hard to pick something that y'all haven't said already for this book um yeah i feel like um this book like every single other book we've read so far uh for this book club is is just like like John said, is is one piece of a continuing conversation um, mm. that that it can be a starting point, that it can be a continuing point, but it you definitely can't take it as the be all end all. This should be, if anything, the springboard that that puts you into learning more about the people around you and mm -hmm. um, and welcoming in things that are different and things that you didn't grow up with and um, and things that broaden and absolutely enrich your world mm -hmm. uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, if you have thoughts on this book uh, that we're discussing um, that we might read on air or books that you'd like to suggest for us to read you can drop me a line at madeline at lovethynerd.com um, i'm also on twitter at mad underscore seed um, i will let my, our other host uh, give you their handles i'm on Twitter as K-R-R Tejador, which is T-E-J-E-D-O-R. So that's K-R-R-T-E-J-E-D-O-R. And I am on Twitter at, at J-Camp, C-A-M-P underscore over, O-V-E-R underscore day, D-A-Y. And I am on Twitter at underscore R-O-C- K-I-N, Rockin', M-R, Mr. Magic, M-A-G-I-C, Rock underscore Rockin', Mr. Magic. Be sure to check out all the podcasts in the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network and also on LTN Radio. Yay! Mm -hmm. The Poll List is a bi-weekly show about how comics, pop culture, and faith affect culture at large, hosted by Chris Poirier and Hector Marai. Humans of Gaming is a weekly show about video and board games that features open and honest conversations about games, life, and belief, hosted by Drew Dixon and Chris Gwaltney. Free Play is a weekly show about any and all things nerd, where you feel more like a participant and less like a rando on a message board, hosted by Kate Katawaki, Bubba Stalkup, and Matt Hornbeer. Church Nerds is hosted by Anna and Bubba Stalkup. This is a special morning show each Friday that combines their church cred and their nerd cred to show you just how well these two ways of life come together. And the newest podcast on the LTN Podcast Network, Two Words. Uh, this is a wrestling podcast for fans and by fans and is hosted by John Berkeley and Matt Coker. 
Also be sure to connect with us on all your social media platforms. Just search Love Thy Nerd or find links on our website, lovethynerd.com. This has been the LTN Book Club. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club.